This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Even if you're not a runner, or just flat-out hate the idea of it, you've still probably heard of the Boston Marathon or London Marathon. These are two of the world's most popular races, attracting tens of thousands of participants every year. Starting in 1897, the Boston Marathon holds the record for being the world's oldest annual race. It doesn't come close, however, to being the world's strangest race. That record goes to, well, you be the judge. My name is Eric Crosby. Welcome to True. The fastest human on the planet clocked in at almost 28 miles per hour. Granted, that was a short sprint, but technically, that would still be considered speeding on many roads. The fastest horses in the world can hit twice that, and unlike humans, have the endurance to cover greater distances. So why would anyone want to compete against the one animal that car companies literally use to describe the power of their engines, or for that matter, expect to win? Yet every year for the last 42 years, organizers of the grueling Man vs. Horse Marathon in Wales are able to attract hundreds upon hundreds of competitors from all over the world. What's even more incredible, every now and then, human power actually does outperform horsepower. The annual race is the result of the time-honored and well-documented tradition known in the drinking community as pub talk. In a Welsh town I'm not even going to try and pronounce, a gentleman by the name of Gordon Green overheard a debate between two men that caught his attention. The question on the table was simple. Could a person ever outrun a horse? As the drinks continued, the men got louder and made their positions well known throughout the pub. The argument on one side was rooted in alcohol-fueled basic common sense that tells us horses are faster than people. <laughs> The rebuttal was based on a more thoughtful approach and suggested that over a good distance and through various terrain, the odds would be much more balanced. Gordon Green wanted to find out. So in June 1980, a 22-mile course was marked and the first ever Man vs. Horse Marathon was announced. It may have been a bit short of a full marathon, but the rough, mountainous trail was a lot more challenging. Gordon Green had his money on well-trained cross-country runners being able to cross the finish line first, but it would be a while before he won that bet. In fact, it would take almost 25 years. The 1980 race was won by a horse named Solomon and his rider in a time of one hour and 27 minutes. The fastest runner that year, Dick Evans, 
trailed almost an hour behind at two hours and ten minutes. The race drew a sizable crowd for the small British town, and everyone who entered finished safely and had a great time. Despite the seemingly unfair disadvantage, even more runners showed up the following year. The 1981 marathon ended much like the previous one, with a horse crossing the finish line first. Once again, Dick Evans was the fastest runner, with a time of 2 hours and 24 minutes. He may have lost the race, but this time he was only 12 minutes behind. The relatively small gap was a huge improvement from the year before, and caused some to wonder if a biped could actually win. But even with changes to the course to make it a bit fairer, the horse and rider team always came in first. In 1982, Paul Brownson crossed the finish line just four minutes behind the winning horse. Woo! And that's as close as it got for a while. Oh. For decades, the results stayed about the same. Runners would finish behind their four-legged competition anywhere from 30 to 45 minutes. But overall, there was improvement, and the gap was slowly starting to narrow. Things really turned around beginning in 2000, when Olympic athlete Mark Crosdale came within just two minutes of beating a horse named Royal Mikado. Race officials and spectators alike could hardly believe it. After 20 years of repeated losses, things were looking up for humans. It would take four more heartbreaking years coming in second, but in 2004, someone finally outpaced a horse. That year, 566 runners took on 46 horses, and when it was over, a 27-year-old runner from London named Hugh Lobb was the winner. He had managed to gain just over two minutes on the lead rider and held that position until crossing the finish line. Not only did Hugh Lobb take home the glory, he also received a check for $45,500. Others may have walked away with a lot more money because the odds of him winning that day were 16 to 1. Three years later, humans would prevail again, when Florian Holzinger from Germany beat a horse named Lucy by almost a full 11 minutes. It appeared runners were on a roll, but the excitement would not last long. It would take another 15 long years before the sweet taste of victory was enjoyed again. There were some close calls, though. Like in 2008, when the gap was only 30 seconds apart. Or in 2018, when a runner came in just 22 seconds behind. But it would be the 2022 running of the Man vs. Horse Marathon that saw British firefighter Ricky Lightfoot win by two minutes. Let's go, Ricky! Let's go, let's go! Let's go, Ricky! Yes! Sixty horses competed against over 1,200 runners. It was only the third time in the event's history that a person had reached the end first. During an interview, the 47-year-old said, 
I thought I could give the horse a good race. I've never rode a horse in my life. I once rode a donkey, though. Wise words for anyone considering entering the world's largest horse marathon that takes place every year in one of the UK's smallest towns. If horses are not your thing, but you still want to experience the pain and suffering, I mean joy and satisfaction, that comes with running a marathon, maybe the one held in Gansu, China will change your mind. Despite being an incredibly challenging course, in the 42 years that the Man vs. Horse Marathon has been around, there has never been a fatality, or really any major injuries. During the 2021 Gansu race alone, Almost two dozen elite runners lost their lives, and many others were seriously injured. While it's not entirely uncommon for a runner to experience a heart attack or other physical distress during a long race, this was something very different. Officially called the Yellow River Stone Forest Mountain Marathon, the course stretched over trails that hit elevations around 7,500 feet. The first Gansu race was held in 2018, and like the years following, the weather was hot and sunny. While the sun was shining on the morning of May 22, 2021, unlike previous events, it was cold. Really cold. Despite the forecast in the area calling for temperatures to fall below freezing in the higher elevations along the course, no one seemed concerned. After all, the runners would stay warm as they moved along the rugged trail. Also, it's not like a bit of cold weather has ever stopped an endurance runner from going outdoors. When the race began at 9am, at the entrance of the park, the temperature was at a chilly but tolerable 45 degrees Fahrenheit, or about 7 degrees Celsius. As one might expect, the runners were dressed in shorts and light shirts, some wore windbreakers, but according to regulations, it was not a requirement. By the time the race started, everyone was shivering. Compared to what was coming over the next few hours, however, this was nothing. What neither the race organizers or the athletes knew was that a weather event was about to turn the already grueling marathon into an absolute horror show. The wind was pretty strong before the race began, but as runners reached higher elevations, it got much worse. Two hours into the race, the rain started, and then quickly turned to frozen precipitation. With winds now gusting around 50 miles per hour, the pellets, according to one runner's description, felt like bullets hitting his face. By 2 p.m., the leaders of the pack were reaching some of the highest elevations along the course. Even with the weather worsening, many convinced themselves that continuing was the only way to keep warm, the only way to survive. They were gravely mistaken.
Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. The temperature was now well below freezing, and runners started being overcome by hypothermia. As their limbs began to give out, many of them tried to crawl, but it was only a matter of time before they slipped into unconsciousness. Slower runners were catching up and began seeing bodies along the side of the trail, many of them foaming at the mouth, one after the other after the other. There was little anyone could do, as no one was carrying anything more than a water bottle. The problem was made worse by poor organization. The area of the course where the disaster was unfolding had no cell phone signal. Race officials had not set up medical stations or assigned any personnel along the route. The runners were on their own, and they were dropping like flies. Unaware of the nightmare unfolding ahead of them, competitors were taking shelter wherever they could find it, while many simply turned around and headed back down the trail. For the runners near the top, they were either now dead or close to it. At around 2 p.m., a local sheep herder who had taken shelter from the extreme weather in a cave heard what sounded like cries for help. Through the howling wind and driving rain, it was hard to tell, but then he heard it again. There was a thick layer of fog on the exposed mountainside, making it almost impossible to see anything. So he followed the source of the noise until he came upon one of the marathoners. The person was in obvious need of medical assistance, but all he could do was drag them back to the cave, wrap them in a blanket, and keep a fire going. And that's when he heard another cry for help and then another. In all, the man was able to save six runners from certain death. Twenty-one others were not so fortunate. The list of fatalities included the race's previous winner and record holder, 31-year-old Liang Jing. The father of three had won the 400-kilometer Ultra Gobi Marathon in 2018. He was leading the pack again in 2021, only this time he was running toward his death. The smartwatch on his wrist noted that his heart stopped beating at 1.08 p.m., just four hours into the race. Thirty-four-year-old Huang Gangjun was also a champion runner. 
He was a decorated Paralympian, having won the men's marathon event in 2019. In the lead as well, the deaf and mute athlete had no way of calling for help when he finally collapsed and died of exposure. 19 others would share their fate, and 8 more would end up in the hospital. In a video posted online by a runner describing the race, it was clear things were not going well. You can barely hear what she's saying over the brutal wind. I'm heading back to the checkpoint. I'm almost there. Don't worry about me, I'm safe. The wind and rain are too big up there. Many people seem to be suffering from hypothermia. I'm fine and in good condition, and quickly heading for the checkpoint. As word of the situation reached officials down at the start area, a search party was sent up the trail to provide assistance. After several hours, though, the team was only able to find around 20 runners, all of whom were already at lower elevations. There was a lot of scrutiny placed on the rescue team's qualifications following the incident. With over 100 competitors still out there, it would be up to the fire and rescue squad to handle things. The call was placed at just after 3.30pm, but for some reason, it took almost an hour for the team to be dispatched. By the time they reached the closest vehicle-accessible checkpoint along the course, another hour and a half had passed. Then, it was a four-mile hike just to reach the stretch of trail where most of the runners were caught off guard by the storm. It was almost 8pm by the time they arrived, and by then, it wasn't a rescue, it was a recovery. The event was intended to drive tourism in the otherwise impoverished region. Instead, it became known for hosting the deadliest ultramarathon ever. The question, as it always does, turned from how did this happen to who was at fault. Dozens of people, from race organizers to government officials, were ultimately disciplined. On June 9, 2021, two and a half weeks after the tragedy, the most senior government official in the area jumped to his death off a high-rise. His death came just a couple of days before the disciplinary panel was due to announce his sentence. The Gansu Marathon disaster placed a spotlight on safety regulations, or, in this case, the lack of. Administrators placed a complete halt on all ultramarathon events across China. In fact, any event deemed high-risk that did not have a regulatory panel was cancelled immediately. The incident caused a national uproar, with people across the country at a loss to understand how so many athletes could have lost their lives. In the end, it was a combination of mistakes made by race organizers and Mother Nature simply doing what it does. It's unlikely that officials will ever let something like this come close to happening again. If you've always wanted to participate in a marathon, but are not a huge fan of the whole running part, and prefer drinking lots of wine instead, 
then the Marathon Duma Dock is definitely the one for you. The event takes place in the southwest region of France, known for its vineyards and natural beauty. Every September since 1985, the full marathon has attracted thousands of participants looking for the unique combination of running and drinking while enjoying live music and amazing food. Along the 26.2-mile course, runners are treated to upwards of 50 orchestras playing the classics, 23 different wine-tasting stations, and gourmet food everywhere. At the 23rd mile marker, exhausted competitors can take a break while enjoying fresh oysters. If something more substantial is needed, keep going another mile. At the 24th mile marker, runners can grab a quick steak, cooked to perfection. With all the cheese and wine anyone could ever want, it's truly amazing anyone actually finishes the marathon. There's a reason the annual race is jokingly called the longest marathon in the world. Elite runners can finish a full marathon in just over two hours. The average participant at the marathon in Medoc can take as long as, oh, seven hours. And after a long day of drinking, they're not always in the best shape. Don't worry, though. One of the many after-parties will get you back to speed. If this sounds like the perfect marathon, you're not alone. Every year, close to 10,000 people from all over show up to eat, drink, and try to make it across the finish line. And did I mention that almost everyone dresses up in costumes? If you're ever in France in early September, the Marathon du Medoc is an event not to be missed. If being in the water sounds a lot better than hitting the pavement, but you still want to run a marathon, you're in luck. It just so happens there was a little-known event that happened in one of the most famous lakes in the world. On September 28, 2003, the very first underwater marathon ever took place in Loch Ness in Scotland. For those who might not be aware, the lake is famous for being the home of the Loch Ness Monster, or Nessie, as it's more affectionately known. The story of a huge creature with a long neck and flippers inhabiting the waters has been around for centuries. But it's the now-famous black-and-white picture taken in 1934 that made the local legend a household name. It shows what many believe is the long neck and head of the animal, and to them, represents documented proof that the Loch Ness Monster is indeed real. Despite years of high-tech scientific research, however, nothing has ever turned up. So, when 41-year-old Lloyd Scott announced the Loch Ness Underwater Marathon, it was an opportunity for even more in-field research. That's because Lloyd Scott was planning to complete a full 26.2-mile race along the bottom of the lake. Since there was no one competing against him, no matter how long it took, he would still be the champion. So he took his time. Twelve days to be precise. Each morning he put on a vintage diving suit, the kind with a large brass helmet and round window to see out. Heavy lead boots and the 40-pound helmet meant the suit weighed close to 200 pounds. Oxygen was supplied through an air hose on the surface. 
Scott used the classic suit many times before, but never in the water. The former professional soccer player and firefighter has worn it while competing in conventional races like the New York and the London marathons. Perhaps you saw him. He was hard to miss. The father of three from Essex wasn't just completing a full marathon at the bottom of a dark, cold lake for fun. He was doing it for a good cause. A survivor of leukemia, Scott undertook the Loch Ness Underwater Marathon to raise public awareness and support for children with the disease. So he put on his old diving gear and spent upwards of four hours a day doing his best to cover at least three miles. It took him 12 days, but when he walked out of the water on the other side of the lake, he had done what no one else had ever done before. It's no surprise that after spending so much time in the lake, people wanted to know if Lloyd Scott had seen any sign of the Loch Ness Monster. He confirmed that while visibility was poor, he did see two fish. The first underwater marathon in history was a huge success, and while it may have taken almost two weeks to cross the finish line, it's not even close to the record for the slowest finish. Running a marathon is a challenge that requires significant mental and physical strength. Anyone can start a marathon, but not everyone can complete one. We celebrate the first across the finish line, but rarely talk about the last. This is a significant oversight, because those at the end of the race are the ones who push themselves to keep going. For most marathoners, it's not about winning the race, it's about finishing it. This is especially true for Shizo Kanakuri, who, on March 20th, 1967, completed a marathon with a time of 54 years, 246 days, 5 hours, 32 minutes, and 20.3 seconds. Shizo became a runner out of necessity. He grew up in rural Japan and had to run four miles each way to and from school. His talent was noticed, and soon he was in formal training. In November 1911, he set the world record for the fastest marathon at the time, 2 hours, 32 minutes, and 45 seconds. Granted, today, running historians believe the race was only 25 miles long, but it's still an impressive feat. The 1912 Olympic Games were expanding internationally, and Asian countries were invited for the first time. The national race qualified Shizo to represent Japan at the Games. With his world record time, he was favored to win the event. Shizo's Olympic challenges began right away. First, he had to get to Sweden, where the Games were being held that year. There were only two Japanese athletes headed to the Olympics. Unlike the larger delegations whose countries chartered them first-class travel, Shizo and his teammate had an uncomfortable, cramped journey ahead of them. They had to sail from Japan to eastern Russia, then take the Trans-Siberian Railroad over 5,000 miles to Moscow. On his 18-day journey, Shizo was only able to exercise by running around the deck of the ship and around the train stations when the train stopped. 
When they finally made it to Stockholm, the Japanese athletes didn't think about the impact that the local food might have on them. Unfortunately, Swedish cuisine didn't agree with their stomachs. Exhausted from a long trip and feeling unwell from the foreign food, Shizo started the marathon on July 14, 1912. It was a blazingly hot day, 90 degrees Fahrenheit or 32 degrees Celsius. But the runners were off, and Shizo with them. About 17 miles into the race, he collapsed due to the heat. Local farmers found him and took care of him overnight. By the next morning, he had recovered. However, he felt tremendous pressure as the first Japanese Olympian and was so ashamed about not finishing the race that he left the country without telling anyone and returned home. Shizo Kanakori was not the only runner to suffer that day. Of the 68 competitors, only half finished the race, and one runner from Portugal died. While most of the athletes informed Olympic officials that they had dropped out of the race, Shizo was listed as missing. Back in Japan, Shizo continued running. He represented his country at the 1920 and 1924 Olympics and focused on preparing the next generation of Japanese runners. But back in Sweden, he was still considered a missing person for another 50 years. When someone realized that he was still alive, Swedish authorities reached out and in 1967 invited him to finally complete the race. As the 75-year-old crossed the finish line, a voice over a loudspeaker announced, This concludes all events from the 1912 Stockholm Games. Shizo Kanakuri, the man known as the father of Japanese marathons, saw the 1912 Olympics as his one unfinished race. After he finally completed it, he said, It was a long trip. Along the way, I got married, had six children, and 10 grandchildren.
True is a production of Imperative Entertainment. This episode of True was researched and written by me. The executive producer is Jason Hoke of Imperative Entertainment. The cover art and design were created by Jenna Sullivan. True was created and is produced by me. Have any comments or questions? Email us at podcasts at imperativeentertainment.com. As always, a huge thanks for listening. Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.